Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always is Romeo Mora. For the next hour, close your door, pour yourself a drink, and have a seat, because we're going to be talking about Mad Men. Mad Men is an American period drama television series created by Matthew Weiner on AMC from 2007 to 2015. Mad Men follows Don Draper, a womanizing creative director played by John Hamm and his colleagues in an advertising agency on Madison Avenue in New York. Set in the turbulent 1960s, the series became a zeitgeist dealing with the theme of sexism, commercialism, racism, alienation, and social mobility. Our special guest today to talk about Mad Men is the host of the Forcing Spike podcast, Chris Dunn. Chris, how's it going? It's going good, David. Thank you for having me. I, I love this show, <laughs> and I'm very happy to be here, and I'm, I'm very impressed with your intro. Uh, as soon as you said, have a seat and close the door, I was like, oh God, like what's happening? <laughs> what, 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 what's going to happen to me? I can make so many references based off of this show, <laughs> the <laughs> things that we can do to you. but <laughs> Well, sure. I, I feel like this show just missed the meme culture like it was like it ended in 2015 and like yes. kid kids weren't into it so like it just missed it if it had ended in 2017 or 18 like the show would be mean to death in my in my opinion no it still is there's so many gifts that i can find and i use like not great bob is my favorite one yeah not great bob yeah yeah no you're absolutely right about that because when the show did first starting area i mean the average median age for this show was over 50 <laughs> you was know really? so well yeah it was high it started, so yeah when it yeah. first started so it took a while for them to reach that that target audience of you know you're 18 to 49 or whatever it is you know like an advertiser's dream yeah, <laughs> right <laughs> yes it really did take a while for them to hit that but but uh, once they did people really did respond well to the show and it just missed out on meme culture and to an extent that is a shame but because we can always go back to the streaming services and rewatch everything uh, the younger generation is able to capture that glory that is Mad Men and, and introduce it to the meme culture world so uh, I, I'm honored to be a guest on your guys' podcast I don't know how this is supposed to go so I will I will kind of sit back and, and be guided by you I, I guess I have so many things I want say about this show it's my one of my top three favorite shows i don't know if it's number one it does enter the conversation I, i'm just very excited so instead of just filling my guts i figure i'll let you guys take me along your journey well what inspired you to start watching the show so it's gonna be like so it sounds actually really nerdy i got a job in advertising and marketing and i didn't know what anybody was talking about like when i got that job like i i was like the social media guy and they need some young kid to go in and do the facebook posts and i was like uh okay <laughs> and like they would talk about media agencies and RFPs and what is a brief and who's a client and why is the client important and what is an agency and things like that. So in our office, Mad Men was kind of talked about and memed because it was an advertising and marketing department. And I just kind of used the show as a way to get up on the lingo as to what was going on because you know, Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, like, or, or or Sterling Cooper, whichever version of the agency you are used to seeing in the show, actually is structured very similarly to how agencies are mostly structured today. You have other departments now with digital media and all of that. And as you know, the show goes on, they start to allude to the changing landscape of what it means to be an advertising agency. But it was a great lesson of just a romanticized version of this is how an agency would have worked. And as someone who didn't have the vocabulary, but had to learn very quickly, uh, Mad Men was a really good shortcut uh, to just learn the ins and outs of how agencies function. So I know that sounds lame and that sounds like, oh, wow, what a hack. 
but here I am like eight years into my career now. And Mad, Men, <laughs> Mad Men really helped me uh, have a cheat sheet to at least learn the lingo, if not romanticize it a little too much, I think. When watching the show and looking at your office, do you see those archetypes? Do you see your Pete Campbell, your Joan, your Peggy? Uh, from, from, from an actual like job role standpoint. So like we have account managers, we have copywriters, mm-hmm. we have media specialists, we have strategy planners. Like strategy is probably the closest to what Don was actually doing for mm-hmm. most of the show, actually. You know, when you say personalities, I feel like these characters are so deep in the show that sure, you might know someone who's kind of like Pete or kind of like Peggy, but I would mostly use their role to say like, yes, I see those personalities. Like you have your Harry Cranes because you have your media guys. You have your Pete's and your Ken's because you have your account managers. You have your Peggy's because you have your copywriters. And that still all exists today. Those jobs are still around in these types of organizations. And often, like if I'm talking to Annie, my wife, about, oh, I'm working with these people on this or that or that, I can still use Mad Men to say, oh, yeah, this guy's like a Pete in season two. <laughs> like, here's, <laughs> here's what's going on. But I, I don't mean to say that about their personality. It's yeah, like, yeah. That's where their job is right now. And so, like, yeah, and it was... It, the folks who made this series really had some sort of love or passion for for the practice of advertising and the effect it has on culture, which I could just gush about all day, you know, because I think the show, that's really what this gets into is how at that how, how, how culture can be supplanted or um, a substitute for, for or how advertising can be a substitute for culture. But yeah, those structures still exist. There are nuances now. There are other things, but largely it's still a good uh, copy of it. So the show was already on for a few seasons before you actually started watching it, right? Yeah, I got this job in 2014 and Mad Men ended in 2015. Oh, wow. Most of the show had already been out. I think it was already on Netflix at that time. Yes, it was. Okay, yeah, it was. So I was able to watch it, uh, but I I did watch the last season live, like from week to week. I got to see that one live. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same with Breaking Bad, by the way. I got super lucky. I got to watch the last season of Breaking Bad and the last season of Mad Men from episode to episode, but I was was a newcomer to those shows in their last seasons. And I feel like a lot of people were. Uh, These shows got a lot of buzz late true because it was in the those early days of the of the golden age of television social media obviously existed but not to the extent of what it is today where things are trending and there's the buzz of brand new tv shows that just dropped and everything so and it was amc amc is obviously been around for a long time but in terms of new content of television groundbreaking television they weren't really on the map for that so it was hard for people to imagine what's on amc what's this you know it it it, it was yeah. slow to the draw on that one well yeah because it was definitely before the walking dead because when i started they were doing a marathon of season three leading up to the season finale which at that point yeah. it was i would you could argue season three was the peak of mad men if you were to single out one season it would be season three and this were also getting all the golden globes all the um emmy buzz i have a big argument there <laughs> but i had such a different viewing experience yeah so like at a macro level amc does a very good job with like week to week shows like mm-hmm. they they write their shows to have a week pause in between episodes yeah. there's going to be a conversation there's going to be speculation there's going to be analysis mm-hmm. i envy people who got to watch Mad Men that way because i i just saw it all at once and i feel like when you're binging it you get kind of spoiled because you get all the answers right away the way the show is structured it's not so much plot driven than it is character driven incredibly character driven this show is a book you're reading a book to go into our english background i would say it's a short story cycle 
in terms sure. that it's not a cohesive story from A to B. You just get these nice little vignettes of short stories that just happen to take place in the same universe. Yes, I I, I could I could definitely get behind that. It's it's literary is what I could yes. like sum that up as. It's incredibly literary. You're way behind in the game of watching the show on a week to week basis. Like you said, you got to it on the final season. You're watching it week to week. But what is it about the pilot that got you hooked? Honestly, I hated the pilot. When I watched it, I wanted to say, really, they greenlit this? <laughs> or maybe it was direct to series? I, I'm not sure. But anyways, it's got to be, be one of those shows that had a script, like had multiple scripts ready to go. If you see the pilot and you're able to read the scripts, if you're like, if you're like an executive producer and you can go, okay, the craftsmanship of the pilot is fantastic. The mood, the atmosphere, nothing about the pilot is actually, this is going to sound weird because I said I don't like it. Nothing about the pilot is actually too different from the rest of the series, like in the way that it's made the way that it feels. I, I believe the pilot's called Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. That's a classic jazz song. And Mad Men is such a mood show. Like, you just have to be in that space. Like, it's the perfect I'm hungover and it's like Christmas Eve kind of show to watch. Like, you just, it's, a, it's just people going around and, and living their lives. And that's what the pilot is. And it's incredibly boring if you have no interest in these characters already. Like, when I watched the first episode thinking, oh, I need to catch up and watch this first episode. Oh, God, it was so long ago. But like, if I remember correctly, it took me a while to keep going the reason is you, you get a feeling the writers already know who they want these characters to be but we don't know them yet mm -hmm. and the one thing that the pilot has going for it is the twist ending and you know i assume this is a spoiler show so if you'd um, like it to be go ahead yeah 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 if so at the end you know you spend the entire hour looking at this guy don draper who's a complete womanizer you're getting to know pete campbell who's it's his, it's his first day at the agency and he's also a womanizer and he wants to be just like don and is then, he's not let me correct you. It's not his first day of the agency. It's Peggy's first day. Peggy's first day. Thank you. Um, um, it's the night of his bachelor party. Okay, so Pete's about to get married. Night of his bachelor party. He's a giant asshole. Peggy is kind of our doe-eyed secretary who's going to be, you know, assigned to the womanizer in the office. So we all expect that her life's about to be shit. And then you just see this guy have this incredible charm and smooth operator attitude. And you're like, wow, this guy, he's just like living his life. He's doing his own thing. Like he's, he's kind of a dick, but it's the 60s. I don't know. And then at the end of the episode, he goes home and you realize he has a wife and two kids. I just watched this guy schmooze his way around New York City, if you know what I mean. And yeah. okay, so he's 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 cheating on his wife too. And that's the twist. And by any measure, that's not that big of a twist. I don't know his wife, so I don't care. And you don't know that Betty Draper is one of the most well-written characters on television of all time. It's such a hard episode to watch for the first time. I can see why people don't get into it. But if you know the characters, it is an incredible introduction to them. Now that you mentioned you didn't quite like the pilot, at what point did you decide you were in it for the long haul? Annie liked it. So you guys know Annie, the listeners. Mm -hmm. Annie is my wife and Annie is really into like that kind of Jane Austen, like let's just like let the characters wash over themselves kind of vibe. So she wanted to keep watching it. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like let's keep watching. And we kept watching. And honestly, like it was very much in the background for me uh, for the first couple of seasons. And I feel like this is a weird show because it's hard to get into. Like I said, first couple of seasons, that's really intimidating for people. There's an episode in season three where a guy gets run over by a lawnmower and his blood yes. in the office. And you're just like, <laughs> what is going on like what just happened and like from then on i was like okay wait and, and, and i i believe in that episode there was some like major historical event also happening you start to see um the crossover with the real world events that happen and you see how it affects the characters and you actually start to build empathy with them through the 
cultural experience. Matt Madman is actually a very good essay on like what it means to be not what it means to be American, but how how modern America started to come about. You start to see these characters react to these things that we only read about in history books, but there's still a level of empathy because you realize, wait, these are our parents. Like these are our or or at least our grandparents. These are the lives of people that we actually know, except all those people in real life are really old. And in actuality, this is like their shared experience. And you start to you start to get some uh, empathy for them. It's what caught me. Like understanding that I could learn more about the experience my parents had as children through something like this. And that really captured me. Yeah, it took it took the lawnmower accident to wake me up, but I started paying attention. And you know, it doesn't hurt that my dad grew up in Manhattan, you know, in the 60s. I just felt like, oh, I want to watch this show. I guess That's right. I forget that he yeah, he grew up in Manhattan. Yeah. So your dad's basically Sally Draper. Well, that's well, Don doesn't live in Manhattan. He lives in the Burbs. More more like the kid that Peggy babysits uh, in the later seasons. Julio. Yeah. My dad is not named Julio, but he he did come from a my dad my dad's the youngest of nine children in an Irish Catholic family. So holy moly. Like you can imagine their living situation wasn't very my dad my dad's the youngest of seven, but he came from a very tiny island, so <laughs> different situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a little bit of, like the empathy came through the cultural experiences that um, these characters were going through because it's stuff we had only heard about, but we got to see it, you know, quote firsthand through the eyes of these characters. David, I'm sorry you didn't like season one. I can I can agree with you. I think it's not a great entry point, which is wild because it's the first season. If you were to keep going, it it grows on you so much. You just have to find that mood. You have to find the uh, the vibe that you're looking for. You well, have to us- find a character is what you need to do. So tell us about some of those high points of the series. And I actually, so I watched, I binged this. I did not watch it season to season. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of get fuzzy on what happened in which season. Is Which season is it that you realize that Peggy and Pete are going to have a kid together? You don't know because during the episode of The Wheel, we find out, oh, she's pregnant. And then um, halfway through season two. Um, she had the baby in season one. She, and she the season one. The season finale. She okay. didn't know she was pregnant. We, okay. That storyline gets carried out until the season two finale. A meditation. Yes. Seeing that storyline come to a conclusion is a very high point early in this series. This is a seven season series. Like this is there's a lot of content here. This is in season two. You know, Peggy, our our Dorothy, right? Like she's so like what w- in awe of everything going on around her. She ends up making a mistake with Pete. She gets pregnant. Uh, she ends up telling Pete she gives the baby up for adoption. And the one of the highest points of the series, because it really cements the relationship, is when Don Draper this guy this dick god you could do an entire podcast like episode by episode about Mad Men like it's, if you guys ever want to <laughs> like let me know we are so we are we are skimming over so much but Dawn goes to visit her in the insane asylum I don't know if it's the insane asylum she's in she's in a mental asylum because yeah. she's kind of she's kind of lost her shit a little bit she was an Irish Catholic uh, had to give up her child that she had out of wedlock and she kind of went a little nuts because that's so against her culture Dawn straight up sits her down looks her in the eye and says run away move far away you'll be so surprised at how much this didn't happen and that rings so true because you learn later in the series that that's what Don did. Don Draper is obviously not Don Draper for those who've watched the show. Uh, his, his his real name is Dick Whitman and Don Draper was was his lieutenant, uh, lieutenant his sergeant, what, yeah. what, his sergeant who he accidentally killed in the military. It's like, holy shit, like this guy's been through it 
and he sees this trauma this girl's going through and goes out of his way to tell her look you can run away from this you do not have to you don't have to feel this pain and she makes the decision to stay and that's the dynamic of their relationship and it's such a high point in the series meanwhile so this is like a big turnaround where we know that don's living this alternate life we i mean we might have known that originally he's encouraging others to do it now he really believes in this you can run away from all your problems thing and then the next season's all about betty figuring out that like her husband is not just cheating on her but also has this like second life that she never knew about and he never felt like he could, t- he could tell her and then she like you know makes actually like good decision to leave him to separate from him when she finds out at the end of that season and then season four is all about figuring out well why did don ever do that and it just keeps going david it's hard to say high point because there are high points there are funny things there are there are memes that we could talk about the supporting cast of this show is so good that the the weight of the main character plots is just lifted by the, the supporting characters just have bringing so much life into the show that you you could you could kind of take this question and split it into two parts the heavy the heavy hitters that are high points you know at the end of the series when you know peggy calls don because he's ran off to california and doesn't know if he can even continue to fake his life anymore and she just tells him that you'll be okay and that's the same thing he told her back when she was in that insane asylum oh it's just such a cathartic moment and like it's the very beginning of the series connecting to the end and i just oh it's so good like it's so hard for me to like pick one because there are so many and we've we've only talked about like honestly a quarter of the characters so far on the other hand you've got like the, the side characters like the first time you meet stan when you find out the fate of lane price like when you uh realize mm. that roger is actually like really funny and he's the old guy in the office that kind of knows he's the old guy and like you, you just start to like really fall in love with these people people who watch the show that are listening are gonna go like yeah he's right but they just gonna be like oh that that jerk he like missed these ones too it's because there are there are a lot but it's a slow burn i'll give you that it takes a while to ramp up but season three four and five just are some of the best television you lost me at five <laughs> you lost me at really? season five <laughs> really yeah if i had to boil it down to one season where i, I can do the high point is season three where it seemed like everything sort of came together especially with betty because like the, the gypsy and the hobo was like their quote-unquote halloween episode and then betty lays it all out on the table like i know who you are and he explains it and that final scene where he takes the kids trick-or-treating where you think everything will be okay at the end and they go and lock on the door the kids um are saying trick-or-treat he looks at um sally oh a gypsy and um bobby went as a hobo then he looks at don and betty and asks and, 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 and who are you i'm like yes it's perfect then we're followed up with the grown-ups where that's when with the assassination of JFK that's when Bay decides that she's leaving him sure I agree it's still such a like a rising action like that season is still mm-hmm. just like okay it's still going we're still going we're still going we haven't seen where this moment has not driven our characters to any resolution it's just along the way and like on the first watch it's really hard it's really hard to imagine that we're going to see much of Betty but what they do when De- Betty and Don leave each other is Betty kind of becomes the second plot line in, in a, and I mean that in a good way it's not mm-hmm. like the plot it's like no we see a lot of betty without don we see a lot of her life still outside of him but we see the ripple effect of what it was like to be lied to and what it was like to be a victim of sexism also like the show has like the balls to kind of like not make it a a blameless situation there are many moments in her life where betty could have chosen a different path and she didn't take them you could say it's because society wouldn't let her but then she's always juxtaposed to women who did take that different path and it really begs the question like did betty have a choice 
Uh, I, it's, it's so it's so good. <laughs> like, yeah, see, I like season four because you started. They dangle that carrot in front of you. That Don can change because you oh, were introduced to the psychiatrist. Doctor Faye. Oh Dr. man, and, my, my, Annie knows. Be still my heart, Doctor Faye. She yeah. she was so good. She was too good for Don. The thing that's frustrating is at the end of it, he marries his secretary, Megan. And then season five made a lot of questionable things. Pretty much they turned um, Joan into something that she always fought against. It's the perceived reputation where they had her sleep with the head of Jaguar to get the account. Yep. It's a great season. Season five is all about how like, oh yeah, you think these characters have an out. You think they can be better than the persons that they're uh, that they're already representing because everyone kind of does have two faces in this show. The answer in season five is nope. They are those people. And it all culminates in uh, the suicide of Lane Price. And Lane Price was kind of the... Um, David, you don't even know who that is yet. Like, you don't even know who... <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I've watched my fair share of video essays on Mad Men, and there were those middle-of-the-night moments where you're working on a college paper, and AMC has their little three-episode run of Mad, Mad Men, Men going on in the middle of the night. So sure. I, I've, I've stumbled upon most of these characters. And yeah, I know the fate of Jared Price's... Uh, Lane. Lane Price. Oh, sorry, Jared Harris is Lane Price. Very familiar with Jessica Paré as Megan Draper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that was my wife, yeah. I would Z- never... Zuby, 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 right? Like, yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm like Harry Crane over here. I know like, oh you God. are. I am ashamed of you. The tragedy uh, of that character, because when you're first introduced to her, she's so brilliant. smart. Wow. She picks things up so well. She's so talented. But with that comes a price. With some someone like that where everything seems to come so easily and then when things get difficult and you don't necessarily know how to respond to it you hit some speed bumps and and i that was really tough for that character i what i realized uh, watching the reading up on the character and and a- analyzing the character i was like wow so to romeo's point season four is all about like these people can change these are actually good people and then like at the very end don makes the decision to leave the women that he was already courting and to be fair he's divorced this season so mm-hmm. you're like oh he's, he's on the right path he's not drinking anymore he is taking care of his kids he's met this woman this is great and then he chooses to leave her immediately for the second the smart sexy secretary and it's not to say that like Faye is smart and sexy like it's she is she just knows him she just figures him out so quickly and he's just so terrified that someone figured out who he actually is both literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. that he runs away to the secretary who kind of has this naive vision of becoming a movie star and doing the Hollywood thing and it's not necessarily that is you have to remember that Faye made him confront who he is and deal with his emotional baggage where when he decides to go with Megan. Megan's gonna allow him to be the Don Draper. Yeah, but that is to Chris's point where he's saying Megan has um, these fantasies that she can be some big movie star. Just the same way Don thinks that, Dick Whitman thinks that he can be Don Draper, mm-hmm. this man living in New York City and and be this big time ad executive and really he's just tortured with this secret of being Don Draper the entire series. And when oh, Faye yeah. does try to have him confront it and you seem like he maybe he's gonna face the truth of this finally face his past and then maybe come out of it as a better person no he goes back to megan because it's just he still wants to chase that fantasy someone's allowing him to chase that fantasy well and the interesting thing is that he tells megan his secret right he tells megan yeah "Yeah, i'm living a second life like and it's fascinating because you don't know that at the end of season four but going into season five it's very established it's established very early that megan knows his secret yeah Yeah, it's like it's not even a big deal at this point right betty Betty tries to hang it over her head that he that's she knows you know the kids are going to visit betty's trying to be like oh i know something you don't 
And Megan's like, yeah, I, I already knew that. Like, what, what are you talking about? It's it, it's really interesting why um, he chose her over Faye. And I think, it, I honestly think it's because Faye figured it out for herself and could kind of think for herself. And Megan, honestly, Megan's one of the most level-headed characters in the entire show. If Don were to tell her, he probably knew that she wouldn't freak out too much either. But she didn't figure it out. It was still a secret that he told her. And like Draper is such a controlling character. And on, honestly, one of the best characters ever on television, in my opinion. The nuance of why one over the other is, it's hard to answer, but you can guess. I think it's feeling like he he made the decision rather than someone else for him. Do you have an episode that you would want to show someone to get them interested in the show? Because I know you said you don't like the pilot, so it sounds like you would divert away from the pilot. I don't. And that's the hardest part of trying to like convince people to watch this show. It's one that you just really have to have a mood for instead of answering that question um i will answer the one that i always go back to to restart the show i actually skip ahead to the christmas episode where they have to throw a christmas party last minute um and that's actually late in season four i think you are uh, thinking of season four episode two titled christmas comes but once a year yep they've got the cigarette account lucky strike yeah and it, like the, the the guy who uh, is the account who owns the account at the company um, is visiting New York last minute for Christmas and asks Sterling Cooper Draper Price if they're having a Christmas party and of course they weren't because they had just started their new agency so they were trying to cut back on budget but because the big wig who owns like thirty no not not thirty like seventy percent of the company's billings you know the, the money that gets paid to the company uh, is in town they have to throw a massive degenerate Christmas party just to appease this one person who's coming in and it's my favorite episode to start a rewatch at if I don't feel like rewatching the first three seasons. Roger Sterling, Santa Claus, he's the best. I don't think starting in season four is the correct start for anyone, like honestly, but it's such a fun episode and it's a holiday episode. And kind of going back to what I was saying on like, yeah, the empathy of a situation is what really can get you behind these characters. Talk about empathy behind a situation. Oh God, my boss is coming and I need to do this thing because they're expecting it and I have two hours. Let's go figure this out. Is just such a fun watch. Shut the door and have uh, shut the door, have a seat would be yes. another one I would show them because it has that hijinks of the group trying to pull kind of like that last minute Hail Mary to land something or to accomplish a goal. They're going to get sold to McCann. So to get out of their contracts, Lane fires them but does it while England is closed because England uh, accompanying England bought them I think every season has at least one or two episodes where there's like a hijinks right it's almost like a um, an Ocean's Eleven kind of setup where it's like oh we gotta go pull this thing off every season has a highlight like that and this is the first one in this series that really shows you how these characters care so much about each other that they will go and do these ridiculous things to like pull pull something off and it's like yeah they don't want to be sold to the, uh, the rival company they want to be independent they want to be their own person kind of like hey you know don doesn't take the woman that figured him out he takes the one who hasn't yet but will accept him their their motivation is to be so independent and they just worked they work to achieve it and it's it's brilliant i'm gonna go watch it tonight you know this is actually only two or three episodes before the one i recommended you just do not have a lot of the character history yet to like actually know who these people are but it's fun interesting attractive smart people that you get to go and watch do something cool and like it's just eye candy it's complete tv candy a good spot 
spot. Yeah, and I would be remiss if we didn't um, bring up the suitcase. I think it's a great spotlight on the relationship on uh, Peggy and Don. Granted, you don't have all the, the historical content, but that one scene where they're at the diner where he goes, do you ever think about it? The, about the baby she gave up. And that's like the first time they acknowledged it. And I kind of like that idea because when you hear that, if you're watching it for the first time and you hear that, you probably think to yourself, well, what? What baby? She gave up a baby? I want to know mm-hmm. about that. And so that sure. would probably inspire you to start from the beginning. Yeah, and then the part where she also admits that my mother thinks that you're the one that knocked me out because you're the only one that visited me. That's why she hates you. Uh, <laughs> oh, I agree. Great episode. It's such a good payoff episode, though, and such a good moment. Peggy quits soon after this happens. They have such a strong personal emotional connection, but their 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 career interests are so... Like, like Peggy realizes that she's a threat to Don because she's so good at her job. Peggy is such a creative person that Don eventually will see her as a threat. And, and you know what's great about this show? We never actually see if Don would have. We get uh, later characters, later creative types that come in, and Don definitely sees them as threats. Like Ginsburg and Stan come in, creative, funny people, Don is just jealous of them, like almost from the get-go. But that's but Peggy has already left. And like, does Peggy see the bull coming? And does she, she leave? Does she leave before the relationship can go away? Well, I, I do remember at one point they pretty much put Don on sabbatical and she kind of takes over for Don. That, that's like season five and six. Season six, end of five, because he has that meltdown of the Hershey itch. Well, see, season six is probably the worst season. That's not saying like that's not that's bad. It's just the worst of seven great seasons of television. Like it's 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 the season that Don got fired and is not working. Maybe instead of one episode, may, maybe go from the uh, close the door, have a seat episode all the way to the Christmas one. Maybe that's a good happy medium. That's like what four episodes to watch. Three? It's only three episodes. If you don't get the vibe of the series and like start to like the characters then, I could see someone not liking the show. I could see someone like saying, oh, this is really not for me. That period of the show is the embodiment of the fun that the show can have. And the show can have a lot of fun. But season one is largely a downer, in my opinion. Speaking of downers, did you have any doubts while you were watching this show? Season six. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So if season four is about these characters can be good, and then season five is about reminding you these characters actually aren't very good people season six really starts to hammer it home yeah these characters aren't good people and it's just like everyone becomes very unlikable in season six don has a uh an affair with linda cardellini and and nev campbell right nev campbell was just a flirtation on a plane don is infatuated with them I can understand why, but the story just sucks. Like, it's just like, okay, we get it. It's almost the same exact point that season five was trying to make, but really season six is about trying to get Don and uh, Megan separated, which I don't know. I don't know if we needed a whole season for that. From the research that I did about Linda Carlini's character, Sylvia Rosen, and this story arc with her and Don, I think maybe they did this to drive sally's story more than anything else but i think this is a good point to bring up sally Uh because sally has a more prominent role in the later seasons because she walks in on them as they're sleeping together that really messed her up (laughs) all these things that she's kind of suspected and felt about her father all these years are all right there true right in front of her and and this was even at the point in the series from what i read i correct me if i'm wrong where she was finally coming around with megan being her stepmother Uh and so when 
when she finally has that connection with Megan and have it to see that Don, here he goes again, destroying any sort of normalcy in their life. That's why I think that maybe that's why that affair happened more than anything was, was to drive the character of Sally. Sally and Betty in the later seasons, I believe carry it. Betty, man, she's probably the most interesting character on the show. We have barely even scratched the surface talking about her. Like, okay. Wow. Really? You don't think so? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you make your point and I, we'll see if I agree. Here's what I'll say really quick about Betty because I just have a short opinion about Betty. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's so caught up in the old way to live. You know, she she really wore being a housewife as like an honor, yes. badge of honor. Yes. And because she wasn't able to adapt to the changing times, it made sense that her character had stage three cancer and died because there wasn't a place for her in the 1970s. She could not get over the role that she was quote assigned betty was just as smart and just as capable as any of the other women in don draper's life she never could get over the role that she thought she had to play she never saw that there was another opportunity you could argue she wasn't allowed but then she she goes and finds this guy uh henry henry for the most part's a stand-up guy right romeo correct me if i'm like forgetting something my impression i've watched the series four or five times henry's really good for her he provides for her and he's like no go do your thing but she still has such a hard time breaking away but then as soon as she does as soon as she breaks away what does she do she goes and she cheats on Henry and sleeps with Don it's like oh she never could break the cycle like she just no never... she, no, she oh. can't it's one thing where you can't break the cycle and you have and struggling with it it's another thing for you to go out of your way and try to make everyone around you as miserable as you are and that's what she does so like Betty so every time we rewatch Annie mm-hmm. and I always have to pause at some point and argue is Betty a good person or not and and it's so hard because I, I don't know that I can answer the question. I don't know that I can answer that question. Is Betty a good person? Is Don Draper a good person? Like, I, well, well, the answer to both is no. They deserve each other. <laughs> They both run away from their problems. And the illusion they created for themselves for the three seasons that we saw them in was what they pretended that they needed to be. They created a lot of problems for each other. Or at the very least, Dawn created a lot of problems for Betty. But we learned so much about Betty's like father and like that relationship that you can't really say it was just Dawn. You can say they were people out of time. I think time was the biggest villain for these two. The both of them have very admirable traits, is what I'm saying. That's the strength of this show. Is like you said it. Romeo earlier. This is very character driven. And then you see the effect it has on Sally. And Sally, when you rewatch, is such a linchpin of the show. When you watch for the first time, you're like, oh, it's the girl. Oh, that's Kiernan Shipka. Cool. She's on uh, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That's cool. Whatever. But like, it turns out, like, no, they got real lucky casting this young woman who could carry this character because she represents the legacy of these two people. She's the one who's going to have to break the cycle because certainly her parents couldn't. The finale leaves it very ambiguous if Don was a able to and it kind of implies he couldn't either he created a commercial they leave it up in the air if he created that or if it was actually the real person in real life who did it that's a real commercial i took it as there will always be people like don draper who Mm -hmm. can take culture and the things in culture that matter and turn them into something that's very commercialized and can make someone money and that's kind of like at a macro level like oh evil is always evil always exists and like people will be able to benefit from this i do think it, it leaves it ambiguous that if it was don or not given that in real life that was a real ad 
ad. And in this show, we've seen other real ads get credited to the real companies that made them. So I, I do not believe that Don created the, the Coca-Cola commercial at the end. I think I thought he did because I just rewatched the pilot again today, assuming he still has a job with McCann. Oh, but that was a Pepsi commercial, wasn't it? Right? No, no, Coca-Cola. No, Coca-Cola. Yeah, because yeah, Peggy's working on the Coca-Cola account. The work to trying yes. to come up with a new commercial, which, by the way, McCann Erickson actually exists. They give the impression that he did create it, whether he gave input or he was behind it. Or, or, or he's not that creative and anyone else could have figured this out, too. That's true. Hot take over here. Don's not actually that creative. He's just attractive and, and can command a room so people listen to him. One could say that even someone like Pete, who is not those things, has a harder time grabbing a room, but could be considered more creative. That's actually a thread in the, in the show quite a bit. Yeah. Pete will often have the right idea. There's a whole like three episode arc where Pete has a really good creative idea and tells the client about it and Don is just pissed because like that's not Pete's job. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the better idea. Yeah. So this show, obviously, we only scratch the surface. This is the type of show where there's a podcast where they're talking about week to week each episode, which there probably is. That's the kind of thing that you you want to get into because there's just so much to this show. I mean, we're talking, we haven't even really talked about Joan. We barely oh. even touched Roger. Oh, God. I mean, the characters on this show are so well laid out and it was predominantly written by Andrew Weiner. It's, it's incredible how his fingerprints are just all over all of these seasons. He wrote so many and co-wrote we, so many of these episodes. We, we didn't talk about Burt Cooper at all. Like, yeah, Burt Cooper oh is God. the total it, afterthought. Burt has a, one of the best quotes in the series. Like, he has vision, but he's not a leader. You don't have vision, but you're on my team. It's just, it's so good. That kind of stuff, guys, gets me going. That's the kind of stuff where, like, I'm at work, I'm in this tough situation. I'm like, what would Burt Cooper say? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's one of them. It's just like, ah, it's good. And knowing that we haven't scratched the surface, it's kind of a good enough segue to get to our recommendations because and to me, just because we weren't able to cover everything, that tells you just how much people should probably consider giving this show a chance. So let's say someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series, though. Chris, do you have any viewing order to help you with the experience? And I know you did earlier mention this three-episode block. Season three right? going to four, yes. Yeah, uh, but is there any other uh, type of recommended viewing that you can think of that uh, you would recommend? I'm with Romeo. I think you can start with season three. If you want the funness that can come from this show, season three is a great place to start from yes. the beginning. If if you really want the character experience you have to start from the front and it is a slog like you just have to kind of get through it but on re and i know i said i don't rewatch season one and two if i had to though i wouldn't complain like it's just there's like such good character development sure. and part part of the reason part of the reason i don't start with season one when i rewatch is because man season three and four are so much fun I, I already know kind of the history of the character so i can just get to the fun parts for me if you're invested in don draper and the dick whitman subline, i would just say watch season one through the end of season three you get a good resolution to it yeah that's true that's true everything they... about that secret because do you have one an episode called 723 where for the longest time don didn't want to be held down by a contract so he's been working for without a contract all these years until hilton comes into the picture and they're like they want to sign with us 
but they want to make sure you're in for the long run. And Cooper brings up the fact that back in season one, Pete Campbell runs to his office and tells him that Don is really Dick Whitman. And Cooper says, yeah, so what? But he brings it up again in the episode, like, go ahead and sign. Cooper knows his secret. Yeah, and the best line was, what does it matter? Who's really signing on the dotted line anyway? It's a good resolution because you have you have a resolution with all these characters. Really, if you wanted, season four is the good jumping on point for this series. I if you agree. want to start fresh. I agree. And season not four. worry about the first three seasons because a lot of those themes come back again and you get the full backstory no matter what. But if you want quintessential Mad Men at its height, seasons one through, four, through three. If you want something a little bit breezy, a little bit that fuses a lot of the counterculture stuff, season four to the finale. I think this is definitely one of the last shows that was like a victim of the national broadcast format where it did span over years and it did span week to week. I, well, I say victim not to mean like that's a bad thing. I think it could be a very good thing, but it had so many viewers join late that the later seasons do repeat a lot of the themes from season one through three. Mm-hmm. So Romeo, I, I actually agree with you. You could start from four to the end and have a very full experience and you start with the fun part. If you really want to get into like the analysis though, one through three and then one through seven are what make it very literary and you can kind of see the themes come back. This is a show that is so true to the characters through and through. We didn't even talk about Pete Campbell all that much. He's probably one of my favorite characters on the show mm-hmm. because every every time I rewatch, I have a different opinion of him. Is, is, he a, is he a scumbag? Is he a good person? I actually think he's one of the better people in the show overall. You, it changes so much. Anyway, point is, you could say one through three was very complete and then three or four through seven is also very complete. If you want to focus on who Sally Draper is, five, six, Six and seven will be like if you like that actress from Sabrina, stick with um, five, six, and seven because they give her more that, things to do in that, that's in that show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, I was actually going to make that suggestion. Like, yeah. if you're a fan of Sabrina, you really like that actor mm-hmm. uh, Karen Shipka, uh, and you want to see other things that she's done. Even though she's in the entire series, I think you're ex- absolutely right. It's best to start in those later seasons when they when they give her a whole lot more material to do, and you really do see a lot of growth with that character. And it's very she, interesting. She becomes a main character. I would say Don, Pete. Peggy and Sally are the main characters of the show. Betty in the early seasons, Sally in the late seasons mm. like are, are the main characters. Now, if you want to follow along with Pete's journey, you ha- unfortunately, you can't cut corners. You have to watch Pete's the whole way through. Yeah, cause, same with Peggy. What about Joan? Same with Joan. Now, Bob Benson season when <laughs> the, he was sort of dating Joan. Bob <laughs> we're, Benson. We're quite sure. Oh, there's a reason we didn't bring up Bob Benson. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about this show is that it's very self-contained. There are no spin-offs, there's no comic books, there's no novels. Uh, well, there's there's like a Romeo, did you say there was like a Roger Sterling novel or something yes. like that? So what? they made a no. they made a hold on. Yes, yes. So they made a joke back in season four, the suitcase actually. He was writing a book called Gold by Roger Sterling. I saw it. I read it back when there was a borders. <laughs> And I almost R. bought R. it. Borders. <laughs> and I almost bought it's it. St- Sterling's Gold, Wit and Wisdom of an Ad Man. Okay, guys. So. <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I was going to say, I'm not going to tell Annie about this. We are a month away from having a child. And we're, there's a lot of downtime, if you know what I mean. Like, that we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. Mm-hmm. If I don't tell her about this and get this for her, 
I'm going to be a very popular person, like in nice. this house. Like nice. this is very. She's gonna love this. Okay. Glad we inspired you. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, there's not a lot of material. So they did. They did have this TV show, reality television show inspired from Mad Men. It was on AMC. It was called The Pitch. I don't know if you remember this show. You go behind the scenes on America's top creative ad agencies competing to pitch a new account. So each week, two agencies go head to head in a presentation known as The Pitch with only seven days to prepare. Chris, do you remember this show at all? No, but I can tell you right now, if someone called us and said, by the way, we want your pitch to be broadcasted on national television, we'd be like, (laughs) yeah, no, thank you. Uh, Yeah. yeah. this is okay. <laughs> and also seven days to prepare. That's that's irresponsible. That, like the clients are irresponsible. You can't do the research. This is all made up. Like this is not real. Yeah. I'm just telling yeah. you right now, this cannot be real. <laughs> no, because like, in reality, they got the research months in advance and they're portrayed. That's having yeah. a week to do it. Sure. I'm looking at the agencies and the, co- the companies like Subway and McKinney. Like no way. They didn't do that. <laughs> Um, uh, gosh, let me look down these list of agencies. Hold on. Uh, Heaven Spot. I've worked with them a little bit. Square Trade. Is that just Square? Like in 2013? I mean, maybe. Like, so season one, there's like bigger names like Subway and, well, I guess Pop Chips isn't big. Okay, so these are smaller, these are smaller clients at the time. I could see maybe them giving a week and then maybe this is legit. Most agencies would not want to air their, ideas. or their ideas. I don't, it, I buy this. It makes yeah, sense that, it, it does make sense that you didn't know about the show because because it did premiere in uh, 2012 to 2013. Uh, so it did manage two seasons for 16 episodes. I only yeah. thought it was one season because I was like, who is watching this? No, no, and when you look no. at the U.S. viewers, like pretty much nobody was no, watching the show. because it, it was back to back with Mad Men. So it led right into it. Yeah, but you know who's watching it are people who were drinking their scotch while Mad Men, they passed out drunk on the couch. Exactly. Or you got back from rehearsal that night or a show and you're like, I'm still wired to go. I have nothing else to do but watch this while I eat my dinner. This was such a bad idea for a show. It's so silly what AMC it's was like thinking Shark of. Tank, it's, right? it's like The Apprentice and Shark Tank is what they're going after. Maybe, that, maybe that's what they were trying to do. With, with, with what AMC does now with The Walking Dead and Better Call Saul, and I think Breaking Bad even had one as well. You got your after show with Chris Hardwick. If Mad Men was on today, we would definitely get an after show. What are you calling it? Are you, are you calling it Talking Mad or are you calling it Talking Men? <laughs> <laughs> I would call it have a seat. The, oh, there you go. Have a seat with Chris Hardwick. Yeah, have a seat with Chris Hardwick. Have a seat. I don't that think I worked. want that. <laughs> it works, but I don't think I want that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it'll be mad talk with Chris Hardwick. Uh, sure. Or mad talk. <laughs> <laughs> men talk but you know what it would be sex it's like the air they're talking about so yes yeah. because all you really have is the novel this uh question that it's almost by default it <laughs> it is the book well i i will recommend um amc does have a few of these um they started kind of laying the series um if you go to their website they have this thing called talked about scene where it gives you added commentary which you don't get from netflix and they particularly one particular scene in each episode and sort of talk about this is why it's important or how it fit into the cultural context of the time which 
which I think will give you added value to the show. Guys, I'm going to rewatch Mad Men now. I just finished a rewatch in January and I'm about to do it again. <laughs> wow, you really like this show. I'm glad I we really, got you for I it. Really like, <laughs> I really enjoy this show. Mad Men is a show I will watch consistently through the rest of my life. It's funny you should say that because would you want a reboot or a continuation series? Are there any characters that you would like to see an older version of them in a spinoff? No, not really. I, I feel like it's very complete. And even then, there is some fat to trim. I will say this might be my favorite show, but it's not the best show of all time. I think Breaking Bad can be the argument for best show of all time because there's very little fat to trim from it. Whereas Mad Men does have some fat to trim. It's very long in the tooth, but I just enjoy it. Yeah, nothing in, nothing in terms of like, where is Sally Draper in, in her 30s? And what about Joan and Roger's kid? Like, will that kid even know that Roger's his dad? You know, like it's kind of things like that. I would watch a spiritual successor that takes a look at the way that culture in a certain decade has an effect on people and like how those people can manipulate culture to their benefit. Mm. Like I, w- I would watch that show. I would not need to see a show that follows these characters in particular. The closest thing that I've seen was the first season of Halt and Catch Fire. If you've seen that show. Oh yeah. And uh-huh. that's in the eighties, right? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. about how it's about how the computers are going to change culture. You mentioned a uh, spiritual sequel. So you, is that something that you think you could um, recommend to people if they're interested in Mad Men is Halt and Catch Fire one of those shows I I would say I've seen the first season of that show and thought it was great and I did not finish it so like I cannot say that it'd be the end all be all like recommendation but this is gonna sound weird if if you like Mad Men check out some Ken Burns documentaries Ken the Ken Burns documentaries really tap into what makes Mad Men great and it's just a look at culture in a certain point of time it is what Mad Men did well but Mad Men is fantastic because it personalizes it Mm -hmm. whereas like a Ken Burns documentary kind of gives you the overview you know both are long both are thorough and uh, one shows you the high level view one shows you how how it would affect people there is no comparison to Mad Men it's its own thing anything that tried to emulate it would have to stay away from the characters uh, like or the children of the characters and instead realize that what made the show great was show you how real people were affected by something like in 40 years give me this series about people having to adapt like to working from home because of COVID-19 or something like that Uh that would be like a season of Mad Men in 2050 which is one of my pitches for you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, is it really? Yeah, because okay. I, I found this one character that never really was defined, and that was Bobby Draper, because he was played by, I think, seven actors. Sure. Give me, give, me, give me Bobby Draper, the ad man in... I was thinking it would take place, like, the rise of social media and, and, and quote-unquote influencers, and him being a baby boomer, having to get along with it, and possibly having to face the consequences that his father never had to versus philandering. That'd be, that could be interesting. Okay, okay, I will take your pitch. Pitched Bobby Draper to- sequel is just just weird enough to be like, oh, there's no way they're going to make a good show about Saul Goodman. And then, like, they totally did. <laughs> like... You could. I can see the Bobby Draper sequel work. Because it's taking place like the mid, the late 2000s, early teens. Because that's when we got our Facebook or Snapchat or social influencers. I think it'd be interesting enough seeing these baby boomers trying to catch up with their ad agencies in real life. I I, I lived it. Like, I've seen it. 
It's great, isn't it? And then you have this lot of the psychics, especially Me Too, towards the end of the series. Uh, of course, it'll take place on the East Coast because you want to be adjacent to Silicon Valley. Okay. Pitch number two is, is be sure your traditional safer AMC spinoff. We follow Sally Draper in the late 70s to the early 80s as a journalist. No, I'm not about that. I, I don't, I don't see, I don't need to see that story. Like, I, I, I want to imagine that Sally just went and broke the mold and could do her own thing. I, I want the best for Sally Draper and I don't want to know that she had the same troubles her father did. But I know she will because generations don't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> like, I just don't want to see Sally fail. Um, let me throw in a recommendation. I know we talked about off the podcast. Suits. Have not seen it. You have your John Draper type mystery with a main character who's pretending to be a lawyer and practicing law without a, a, a license. Um, you have your um, Joan character and a character named Donna. You have your Pete Campbell character uh, in Lewis Lit. You have that swagger that Don has that all the male characters do. And you also have your Peggy Olsen character, I feel like, which um, Meghan Markle played. Stop at the season when Meghan Markle leaves. Briefly discuss who you think could enjoy this show. So, like, if you're like me, and when you're young and starting your career, and you just want something to reference, as like, how do advertising agencies work, or how does media work, or marketing work? And you didn't take like a MBA. Like, I was not. I do not have an MBA. That was not my background. I uh, had uh, David. You and I had, had went to college together. Romeo, we went to college together. I was an English minor, a communications major. They didn't teach this kind of stuff. I need. I needed to learn the structure. No, they didn't. <laughs> it was a. It was a good way to fast track talking the talk, but in the beginning of this episode i was like oh yeah it's still like this it's it's similar it's not the same this is really much a character exercise don't be like oh well i want to learn about marketing and then watch mad men that's not how that's going to work if you want a look into again i've said it a million times how culture changes things how culture affects people and you're if you're looking for a vibe it is such a mood show i'm looking to be in this mood and i think i described it earlier as uh, a hangover on christmas eve and that may or may not be a personal story but i feel like that's just the kind of show this is it's on i'm watching people i'm observing them i'm learning about how similar people from another generation were to me in the way that i feel and think about things and how they were different it's just a window into another world that doesn't actually exist anymore and is it a fairy tale that's where the series leaves you off actually wondering you know is this a fairy tale or or did this actually happen i feel something when i talk about this show like i feel that warm loving feeling inside of me and and as much as this is about terrible people bring it on if you're an aspiring writer and you're interested not so much on story plotting but about character development this is a show for you okay so you're going from the writer's stand. I'm going, yeah. For me, I always look at it from the writer point of view. If I were teaching a class on like the golden age of television, the two episodes I would show them in terms of story structure would be um, close the door, have a seat. In terms of conversation and dialogue, um, the suitcase. Hey guys, we did it. We just talked about Mad Men as best as we could. And we survived. (laughs) I'm sorry. We survived. Yeah. I have to go eat something. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, no, totally understandable. Well, we want to thank you for joining us, Chris. And do you have anything you'd like to plug? No, if, if you guys uh, want to hear me uh, have conspiracy theories about game design, come listen to uh, Forcing Spike. It's a podcast I have with my friend Justin Sherman uh, about usually the greatest game ever played, except it kind of sucks right now. Uh, and you can go over to our podcast and listen about why. <laughs> That's a whole other topic for a whole other time. Any social media that um, you want people to find?
find you at? Uh, yeah. If, again, if you're into that game, I'm on Twitch as at not a hipster. Spell I, that out. Spell, you want to spell N, that out. N, N-A-D-A hipster, uh, H-I-P-S-T-E-R. That's my handle on all the social channels where I like kind of shill stuff. So thank you all so much. Very, very cool. All right. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned for final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. It's time for our final thoughts. Romeo, it's been a while since we've done this recording. Listening to it again, is there anything you'd like to reflect on now? Mad Men is one of those shows that you, and I believe there are many podcasts who just focus on Mad Men. And, you know, I think we did a good job introducing what the show is and possibly getting people who were kind of on the fence. This was our first go around at trying something like this with a guest. Obviously, we're going to take notes and learn how we're going to improve the show as we go on. But for our first time, I thought we did a pretty good job with Chris. We do realize that in the future, we want to see if we can focus on more characters. We didn't get a chance to really hone in on a lot of these supporting characters. And it's tough because this was a hour and a half discussion before the edit. So to try to get everything in in a discussion in less than two hours is just going to be impossible. Like, I, I would be remiss that if we didn't mention that, we didn't get to talk about a lot of the um, gender politics and the race issues that the show brought up, especially the race issues because there were minor characters on the show that we didn't get a touch on that we missed. And I wish that in hindsight, we got to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, you just got to pick and choose where the conversation goes. Okay, well, I don't have any more thoughts on the episode itself. You want to move on to some of these uh, little quick fat checks? That, sure. That you do? Okay, so uh, listening to it again, I wrote down a few things to double check on. And one of the things was I said something along the lines of that the average age of viewership for the series in the beginning was over 50. And although there could be some truth to that, it, it's, it's not 100% confirmed because the Nielsen rating system is very unreliable during the time Mad Men came out. So it's in the very much realm of possibility that the 18 to 49 age bracket was the dominating viewership for Mad Men. So Chris quoted Don Draper very incorrectly uh, <laughs> in the episode. Just throw him under the bus. Chris quoted Don when Don was talking to Peggy about giving up the baby. Right. Uh, he says something along the lines as run away far away. You'll be surprised how you'll not even remember any of this or something along the lines. But the direct line that Don said to Peggy was get out of here and move forward. This never happened. It will shock you how much it never happened. And that's what he said to her. I didn't want people to yell at us that, <laughs> that uh, he got that line totally wrong. Which, which I believe he paraphrased it. He did he paraphrase. But, yeah. it, but you know, it, it's, it's more impact when you're actually hearing the correct. Right. Line. Which for the record, he was incorrect because she kept thinking about that kid. Yeah, Peggy's not Don. <laughs> exactly. His own advice failed him many times in this series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. So did Don make the Coca-Cola commercial? Well, according to Matthew Weiner, in a interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Don did make the Coca-Cola ad. So we were on the lines of, we thought this might have been ambiguous. Uh -huh. I remember Chris gave one argument, you gave the other. Yeah. And then I decided to look it up and make sure. And I, I actually thought it was ambiguous as well. But it actually turns out this time, Matthew Weiner was like, nope, let's have your cake and eat it too. So what are your thoughts on that? I kind of like the leave it up to the viewer how they want to take it i like the ambiguousness of it because the show always dealt with the ambiguity of don draper 
And for me, I'm still having a hard time with Don being able to get into everyone's good graces again. But then again, it's Don Draper. We've seen Don Draper do horrible things in front of his colleagues and come back. But though, also one can make the argument that when he left or just disappeared, that was kind of like sort of the final straw in a sense, because it did kind of send him packing. So it's kind of weird to say that, yeah, they welcome him back, but then again, he's Don Draper. Only Don Draper hypothetically could come up with a billion dollar idea like that. So I guess it does fit in the realm of possibilities that he will be welcomed back with open arms. Yeah, last but not least, we weren't quite sure how many actors have played Bobby Draper. So I did the work there. There were four. The latest one was Mason Vale Cotton. Other notable works he's done since is voicing Arnold in Hey Arnold, the Jungle Movie. <laughs> we also have Maxwell Huckabee and Aaron Hart. And I believe the first one was Jared Gilmore. Well, either way, he's the most notable one. He was in over 100 episodes of Once Upon a Time as yes. Henry a show that you're very familiar with. Yes. So did uh, you recognize him on Once Upon a Time from Mad Men? No, it was afterwards where I went back and we watched the series. I'm like, oh, <laughs> there you are. Yeah, he's a third Bobby Raper. Okay. And his face changed a lot since he was on Once Upon a Time. Okay, well, that does it for the quick fact checks. And we don't have any mail back because this is our first episode. Right. What we can tell you is to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you rate it five stars. That'd be great. It'd be great. Helpful to us. Unless you didn't think it was five stars, then don't rate it five stars. But we would prefer if you did five stars, throw us a bone. I mean, we're just starting out. And if you want to reach us, you can find us on Gmail. You can email us at bingeessentials at gmail.com. All right, that is the one way right now where to reach us. As we grow, we will likely add maybe an Instagram or Facebook, but for right now, it is just the email, which is bingeessentials at gmail.com. Email us with whatever you want to say. We would love to include any listeners into the show of, of their thoughts of the previous episodes. That would be very much appreciated, especially for this Mad Men one. But yeah, Romeo, any last thoughts? I'm okay. good. Well, that's going to do it for the first episode of the Binge Essentials podcast. Thanks for listening. See you guys next week. 